Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And now your host, when she wants to learn something, she hires a mentor to save her time, Dr. Grace Lee. Hello and welcome to another episode of Career Revisionist. Today I have another guest, an honored guest on today's episode, and his name is Eric Bergman. And we we met each other through a mutual friend. You know, we were we were both on the same podcast together, and then that other podcast host introduced us and said, "Well, you got to have Eric on your show. Introduce, you know, you he would love um, to speak to your audience." And so here we is. I sent him an introduction, and we made it happen. So Eric Bergman and I are going to be chatting today, and. And one thing you need to know about Eric is that he is he's been an entrepreneur all his life. And so we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and he's going to share his wisdom on how to make that transition if that is what you are interested in. So Eric, he's a co-founder of a company called Katina Media. And it went from zero to 300 employees in five years. And in that time, he made all the money he could possibly make and all the money he, he would ever need in his life. And so that was an endeavor. And he'll sh- he's going to share with you today on how that happened, how he made that happen and the journey he took to do that. And so since then, you know, he kind of quit, stopped doing that. And now he started a company called Great, great.com. And this time it's not focused on the extreme growth, but rather being, you know, transparent and having being trustworthy and flexible for the team. And he is putting 100% of the profits and donating them to help the environment. Right. So we are going to talk about careers. We are going to talk about entrepreneurship as well. And Eric is going to share with you his wisdom on how to make that transition. So put your hands together and let's welcome Eric Bergman. Hey, Eric, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, thank you for having me. And I can just see from your beautiful, bright smile that you're really excited about this. And it makes me feel really welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I am because I was, I've been excited for this. And you you and I met through a mutual friend and who recommended you to be a host, a guest on my podcast. So I've been excited for this since you booked the, since you booked (laughs) it with me, because I know about your story and we had a slight email exchange. So I'm glad that you are joining me today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Right. So I know your story a little bit. You know, I went on your website and your website was very colorful. I mean, great.com. What a great URL as well. (laughs) So maybe you can share with my listeners a little bit about your story. Give us the 10,000 foot view. What is the journey you took in your career to get to where you are at today? (sighs) I think that my when I look back at my life, I can see a red thread of me just wanting to build things. That goes to kindergarten me, loving Lego, loving tree houses, loving everything. And going into teenage me, building on teeny tiny little businesses, selling lottery tickets, selling bread, selling all kinds of, of things. Into older teenage me, starting to build my first real businesses, which was a lot of failures, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I started a printing business that failed. I started a web agency that failed. I started a lunch guide that failed. I started a bunch of other things that failed. And then I kind of stumbled into 
online marketing uh, based on search. So basically how to rank in, in Google uh, SEO and became very passionate about that and built a marketing company around that called Katina Media. And after a first quite tricky couple of years, it just took off and got very, very successful. And we took it to the stock exchange in 2016 uh, on my 28th birthday, actually. Good day. Uh, at a valuation of about $200 million, uh, which was everything that up until then I had dreamed of in my life to get to that financial freedom, to get to that place of pride in a sense and accomplishments. Um, and after that, I've been focused on finding myself because all happiness wasn't in that money, all joy, all, <laughs> everything wasn't solved. Uh, and since then, I've been doing what you just mentioned, uh, building a new company called Great.com, which have the goal of moving money from the gambling industry to the climate change. Uh, that's kind of the overarching goal. So we're building a marketing company within the gambling industry, working to donate all of its profits to uh, protect the environment. Mm. So that's the short version of me. <laughs> Where did you grow up? In Sweden, uh, in a small town called Jönköping with like 100,000 people mm -hmm. in an area which translates to almost the crazy place. <laughs> it's called Tokarp, which Tok in Swedish means crazy. Arp means kind of village. So almost like the crazy village. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't thought about that before. It came to me now. It's like, hey, that's a weird thing, especially in English. So oh. I'm from the crazy little village in Sweden. That's interesting. And you've always been an entrepreneur growing up in that village. Yeah, pretty much. I think, so I think it's, I can share, share a little story. And I'm standing in front of this door. It's twice my size. And I'm all dressed in red. And I can feel that I really don't want to be here. And at the same time, I know I have to do this. I'm reaching for this doorbell. I'm pressing the doorbell. I hear the steps on the other side of the door and mm -hmm. take a big sign. This middle-aged man opened the door and he looks so grumpy. And I'm just looking at him and I start singing. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. And I'm four years old and my brother has dragged me out to sing for our neighbors uh, to get some tips was his business idea. And this man shines up in a big smile and we leave with some coins. And after this, like my brother realized that he could make money using my cuteness. Uh, so I, <laughs> so the, he was the big entrepreneur and we started selling all kinds of things. When I was a kid, we went around to our neighbors selling bread, lottery tickets, singing, doing all kinds of things and it started already there and then it just kind of built upon that oh i see what role did your parents have in terms of forming you as a young entrepreneur or encouraging that or you know <laughs> ironically they are as far away from entrepreneurs <laughs> as possible my my mother she's a physiotherapist uh, and my father has been working in the social services so both of them have been part of like governmental jobs, never been entrepreneurial at all. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I think somewhere along the line, my brother came up with the idea of I can make money from grownups if I like sell things or if I am cute. And he kind of pulled me into everything. So I think everything was his ideas, at least until I turned, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that. I was just following in his, in his, his footsteps. So what happened at 16, 17 then? Uh, so at 16, at 16, in a physics class, I borrowed my friend's calculator and he had a poker software on his calculator. So you could actually play poker on your calculator. And this was a lot more fun than paying to the paying attention to the teacher talking about, I don't know, Newton's laws about this or that. And I fell in love with poker. So after playing with this calculator all class, I went and I bought a poker kit and we started playing in, in school. So instead of going to physics class, we played poker. And I fell madly in love with this game. Uh, and for the next four years or so, this was my life. And I became a professional poker player at age of 18. I played mainly online, but also traveled around to casinos everywhere and just played poker. And then my, bro- my brother actually started playing poker because I did. So that was the first time the, <laughs> the roles were switched. And yeah, I, I was a professional poker player for, I don't know, four or five years. And then I started, m- that took me into to the gambling industry. So the marketing I've been doing has mainly been within that industry. So I started marketing for poker to start with. And then I started doing the same thing for bingo. Mm-hmm. And I learned about marketing and this this industry. And I came from the pure passion of the game. I just really loved everything that was about poker. Oh, that's awesome. So what happened from there after, you know, the po- after poker, what happened then? Yes. Simultaneously with the poker, I, I still had a lot of business ideas. Uh, the first thing that I really tried to do was to become a, po- a party planner. And yeah, I, I, I called all of my friends. I rented this nightclub. I got arranged this DJ. And when this evening came, I couldn't get anyone to stay. Uh, No one wanted to be at my party and I left feeling completely humiliated, alone, deserted by my friends and just felt so much shame over this failure. And then I came back to school uh, the week after, after just hiding away in my room all weekend. And I was so sure that people would laugh and, and point and just make fun of me. And no one did. And that just caught me off guard and I couldn't fully understand why. Then I started thinking about this and I asked myself like, okay, if someone of them would have had a party and no one would have come, would I have cared? Like, no, I wouldn't have cared. So why am I worried that people care about my failures if I don't care about their failures? And I think somewhere there, I realized that people don't care if I fail because just like me, they're so busy thinking about what other people think about them that they don't. So after this, in parallel with the poker, I started different small little business projects. And it wasn't as much companies as it was hobbies. I tried to be a party planner. That didn't work out. I tried tried a small little printing business 
but it was like a few hours in the week and a side thing. It didn't work out. I tried to build a website that was a guide for all the restaurants in my hometown. That didn't work out. Kept doing this on the side of the poker with my childhood friend, Emily was a computer guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, after a bunch of years, suddenly it worked. Mm-hmm. And we built this marketing company. This is now 2010. I'm 22. And I'm going into a period in the poker where I'm not really winning much money. I'm not losing, but I'm not winning. And so I stopped playing for a while and then the business starts taking off. So I put more and more of my intention into that. And yeah, that starts to really work out. And we're building websites about we, what we get good at is how to rank in Google, which is called search engine optimization. And we do websites about anything. We start with bingo and then we do it for different kinds of loans, insurances, business cards, hotels, just comparing different products, but we're ranking high in Google. So what we're good at is if you're Googling business cards, you could find one of our websites. This was all in Swedish. And suddenly it became a company. So this was the first time one of our hobbies became a real business, but it was still, we still ran it as a hobby. There were no business structure. There was no employees. There were no investors, no, no nothing. It was just our passion for for creating that that got us there. So we never really had a business plan or think things through. We just did them. That's amazing. You, yeah, you have been so entrepreneurial your whole life, and it's interesting that the tables turned. You know, in your teens, you, know, you leading your brother towards <laughs> <laughs> towards poker and that that the industry. I, I got to ask you something. And uh, there's something I talk about this concept of neural programming. You know, we receive yeah. programming at a young age. We're told certain things by our parents, our teachers, or societies, you know, and that goes into our subconscious mind. And one of the things that we're programmed is in order to get a good job in the future, that you have to go to school and get good grades, and then you can get a good job, you know. And then that's why a lot of people after high school, they go to college, right? And then they they go to get their second degree or maybe their, their third degree, right? Because they, they, they've just been programmed that you got to trade time for money. And, and then that's how you get, uh, have a good career is it by going to school and get a good grades. And so I got to ask, were you exposed to that at all from where you grew up, you know, your society, maybe your teachers or your, your parents at all? Did they ever, you know, impress upon you that you got to go to college and, and, and get your degree or, or something like that? It's an interesting question. I haven't thought about it that way. So my parents, as I mentioned, they were not entrepreneurial by any means. They were both the first ones of their families mm-hmm. to get, well, college or university degrees or the equivalents here in Sweden. But I don't really remembering them talking that much about it as something that was very important. I mean, pretty much all of my friends did go to to college and the university uh, and I just didn't. Um, and I think I just had too many ideas of my own. The only thing I can remember when you started talking about what my parents told me and that I believe had a big impact on me was that they used to say that I was lazy when I was a kid. And I always identified with being lazy. 
And I've realized over the, actually the last couple of years, maybe the last three, four, five years that I'm the opposite of lazy. I'm an extreme overachiever who never sits still and does things all the time. But even if that's been true all the time, I always identified with being lazy. So I can really, I can really relate to how the words of our parents can be very deeply ingrained into our self-image. And, and that, that's just being a part. So if they would have told me a lot, you have to study in the university, you have to get a good job. I think I would have felt that when I did these things, but for some reason they didn't, at least I don't, I can't recall them ever saying that. I do know that it was important to have good grades. Um, I don't think they tied it to, to get a good job. I don't, I can't remember it going all that way, but it was definitely, you're supposed to have good grades, Eric, you're a smart kid. Uh, And probably when I didn't, I was lazy, which was probably true because I had a very easy time in school. And if I didn't get good grades, it was probably mainly because of laziness or poker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They were probably true when when they called me lazy as a kid. I just, somewhere along the journey, I started to use my passion as a compass. Like, what do I really want to do? And I kept feeling into what do I want to do? And I think when I'm following my inner compass of passion and what I enjoy, laziness is not really an option because it doesn't feel like work when I'm doing things. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly doing things because I enjoy them. And if I keep following that compass of what I enjoy, I will get a lot of stuff done. I will learn a lot about that topic. I will talk a lot about that topic. And yeah, the antidote to laziness in my case became passion. Mm. That's that's awesome. So you had many passions though. Yeah, right. that's true. <laughs> right? You had many passions. It sounds like you, you as, a, as a young man, as a child even, that you were the type that had type of person that was interested in a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Cause you're curious. Right? You yeah. Know, I'm curious. Right. So, so how did you, how did you take us through the thought process and how did you choose which passion or interest to focus on for that next business, you know, or the next entrepreneurial pursuit? There wasn't a thought process. Uh, I just did. And I think that's, so if there is one thing that I can see looking back that have had a very big impact in where I am today and how I got to it is that there hasn't been a thought process before instead of just done things and I've tried things and then I've reflected. Mm -hmm. So I'm good at thinking afterwards, which sometimes doesn't really help much because, oh, Eric, now you've fucked up again. That wasn't a good thing. But a lot of the time, I haven't been overanalyzing. I haven't been thinking, is this a good idea or not? I've just done it. And a lot of the time, I've looked for what's the smallest step I can take today to do it. So when I've been thinking large-scale company, so when the company I founded, there are 400 employees now. And I've never even thought about that even being a company. I just thought, okay, what's the smallest step I can do to build a website? And then we built the website. And then suddenly we got to, okay, how do we hire one person? What's the smallest step we can do to that? 
And I've constantly been thinking in small steps. And that has made me easily to get things done and not very afraid of failure because if it's a small thing, it doesn't really matter if I'm failing. If I'm trying something as a little hobby project, I can't fail. You can't fail a hobby. You can fail if you're trying to start a company, but you can't fail if you got a hobby. And I think that's... So with, with your audience, you mentioned that there's a lot of people who are employed right now and want to give it a try to be a consultant or anything like that. And I get a lot of questions about, okay, how can I take the leap? How can I dare to start a company? How can I quit my job? And I tell everyone, don't quit your job. Start a hobby. Do this a couple of hours per week. And if that will be be a consultant, don't even charge for it in the beginning. Because if you're not charging, you can't fail. If you start helping... Friends, let's say, you're, let's say you're working as an accountant. You most certainly have friends who need accountants. And just start helping them out a little bit to see how does it feel to do things outside of your regular work hours or your regular thing. And maybe after a while, you can start saying, okay, I need to get paid. And if this is a transition period over a couple of years when you're doing a few hours every week of this, it might be very easy to take the step two years later, because now suddenly you have the clients, you have done these things Mm -hmm. and you never even put yourself at risk of failing. You didn't identify yourself with quitting your job or starting a company. It was just a small little side thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I've been living my life. I haven't thought about this as a big business idea. I haven't identified with it until it's real. Up until then, it's just been a little little crazy Eric idea with not much thought behind it. Okay, if it failed, it doesn't really matter. I haven't invested a lot in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So some listeners who are listening to this might be, you know, have had an inkling to start a business for some time now, but there's the fear fear of failure and there's that the fear of not knowing if they could sell what it is they want to offer, right? But you've been an entrepreneur all along. So how did you like we like you're right right if you're working if you're currently in a job and you are employed by a company you can start a side gig you can start you know testing the waters and i and i and that's a great idea and i that's what i would advise as well right that way they can still have income income coming in while they're exploring okay what is it that they might be passionate about doing or what is it that they might be able to offer right but you didn't go that direction you went straight into entrepreneurship so i guess i mean share with us listeners might be curious right and and um, this is me trying to um you know and for what questions they might have but so uh, tell us share with us how did you fund your entrepreneurial pursuits so i i, I learned poker and i made significant amounts of money playing poker when i was 18 on a good month i made ten thousand dollars when i was going to school uh, so m- money wasn't really a pr- problem. And at the same time, none of the businesses I tried cost really any money. Um, it was me and my childhood friend, Emil, and he was really good with computers. I still don't know anything about computers. We currently have a lot of problems with our Wi-Fi here. So my fiance has been on a ladder all day trying to climb up and fix the cable. I'm like, that's just not me. I'm sorry, love. You love me for other reasons. <laughs> I know nothing, but yeah, I mean, my business partner was really good with this. So for the first two years with our business, three years, 
we worked on this maybe five, 10 hours per week. And we had zero or next to zero cost other than our time. We didn't take a salary. We didn't bring anything out of it. So I played poker and I made a living doing that. And if I would have needed to, I could have put money into the business that way. But basically, I was just investing my time. We built easy websites in free tools or next to free tools. And we did it over a long period of time. So we didn't have to fund everything. We didn't have to put up any money up front. And most of the time, I didn't make that much money playing poker, but I made enough to keep going. It was basically like my regular job. And that became our, our business. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, that's, well, that's wonderful. And earlier you shared about, you know, you started this business and it failed. You did this one and it failed, right? Was there any time, was there any moment in that time where you kind of felt to yourself, well, maybe I should just get a job. Maybe I should, you know, go the employment route instead. You know, this isn't working out. Like, like you know, because mindset is a really important piece to growing a business and even success in your career, your mindset is really important. You know, so that's what I'm trying to, to understand. Yeah. How's your mindset in those failures? So I didn't really identify with them as failures. I identified with it as failure with that party that was big blow to my ego and my self-confidence and everything around it. That became a big failure. But the other things, it was, as I said, it, it became more hobbies than business projects. And if you start painting, that's a hobby. And then suddenly you don't want to paint anymore. You realize I'm not good enough at this. And you didn't fail painting. You just stopped painting. And if you pick up the guitar and you really want to learn how to play guitar, and then after a while you realize, my fingers hurts. This Wonderwall is a really hard song to play. I don't want to do this anymore. You didn't fail playing guitar. You just stopped playing guitar. And this was the same thing for me when I tried these different business projects. It never became something I truly identified with. It wasn't this, some things I did for quite a long time, but it more was replaced by something else. I didn't really give up. It was more, hey, I have more joy over here now. So let's just realize this idea is not going to fly and let's do this. Or this project, this printing technique that I've been researching and thought would really revolutionize this, it doesn't work. Let's do this. So looking back at it, I can see it as kind of, it, it was definitely failures or those projects didn't be anything. But I didn't feel it as failures because I felt it was more like giving up on painting or giving up on guitar. And it just wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. And then I just, it was easy to keep going because I, I was constantly thinking in terms of what, what can, what ideas do I have? And I was constantly engaged in trying things. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much always had a new idea before the other idea gave, before I quit that idea. And it was more me moving towards something that felt more engaging than giving up on something. So it it always felt more like I'm starting something than I'm quitting something, if that makes sense. Yes, that that is, it does. And it's one of, it's a simple shift sometimes that is key, right? So I like the reframe, right? I like that. Um, So you mentioned a few times just now that it's not such and such. It's not something you identify with. 
right? So yeah. did you have, did you reach that point where you're doing something even now, right? Where you actually identify with what you are doing? Yeah, definitely. So that was, so when I was building Katina, uh, I had an amazing team. I had extreme growth and for a while, everything we touched to turn to gold. And I was so stressed out. I was, my, my brain was constantly in business analyze mode. I had a bottle of whiskey next to my bed uh, for years. Just, and every night I drank whiskey because otherwise I wouldn't fall asleep. And I neglected a lot of relationships in my life. I neglected my health. Obviously the whiskey wasn't really a good thing for me. And I felt so deeply connected with that company that if that company failed, it was the same thing as me failing. Katina was my identity. And I think that was the only reason I pushed myself in the way I did. And my business partner, Emil, who is also my longtime childhood friend, as long as you can be, we're born on the same hospital uh, on the same day by parents who knew each other. So we've literally been friends for as long as it's humanly possible. He's born like 12 hours ahead of me. And since then, we've known each other. (laughs) Um, But either way, he was a computer genius and the geeky kind. uh, And I was a business person with extreme overachiever mentality. And we were both balancing on very thin thread of just being really burned out. Mm -hmm. And he fell up from this thread due to a project that didn't work out. And he didn't sleep for weeks. Uh, He didn't, he he wasn't himself for like two, three years after that. Mm -hmm. And at the time I felt that he deserted me with all this responsibility. And I felt angry at him, even though he had given it all to this extent that he risked his health. And I didn't even see how much I was risking my health at the time. And all of this was because I identified myself more with the business, probably more with the business than I identified with myself. I was probably more Katina at the time than I was Eric. And it took a long time to to change that. I left the business in... So I realized in 2015 or something after him being burned out that this is really not good for me. This is, uh, this is just not healthy. I'm neglecting so many things that are more important. And it probably took two years to cut myself out of it, leave it, replace me, do these things. And another one year to stop identifying with it and I'd say it's first this year that I'm not feeling that I am Katina. So it's, it's the extreme sides then of identifying to the point that this is more my identity than it is myself yeah. to just looking at something as a teeny tiny hobby that it were in the beginning. Right. So what made that shift in you? Previous, uh, previous pursuits, you didn't identify it, but with Katina, you did. So what was the... What was the shift there? What caused the shift? It's an interesting question. First thing that comes to mind, I'm not sure if this is true, but just thinking about it, is the amount of hours I've put into it. Mm-hmm. So if you, 
if I would have put in a lot of hours into thinking about something before I did it, then I would probably identify with it the, the minute I really started because I've already been thinking about it for probably tens, if not hundreds or thousands of hours before I start. And I might have told a lot of people about, I'm going to do this. And then when I do this, I start identifying with it. But when I started the businesses or the projects, I didn't think about it. I just started it. So I hadn't invested any time into it. I haven't spoken a lot about it to anyone. Mm-hmm. But after years and years with Katina, I invested my life in that. That was the, my main topic of conversation with anyone was business. I was business. I was this company. That became my identity. So the number of hours that I put into it, the number of conversations I had about it, mm-hmm. just shifted over to, from the beginning in Katina, I didn't, I didn't identify with it at all. but. Just just I identified more with it for each and every day and each and every time I spoke about it, I think. So the, the amount of time I put into it is probably what happened. And it's the same thing now with Great. I already identify a lot with Great, which is my new project. And yeah, I put a lot of hours into that one already as well. So it's probably similar. And a big reason why I'm not identifying as much with Katina anymore is probably that I've started identifying with this new project instead. Okay. That makes sense. You know, I remember back then after my PhD, I went into a few years after my PhD, I went into the corporate world and in corporate, I mean, you're putting in 80 hours a week in corporate and I had the nine to five and, you know, I had the office in, in the company. So yeah. And I identified with it, which was even more painful because when I felt undervalued and I was burnt out in that position, it was like, like an attack on my identity, right? And 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 in yeah. addition, I kind of associated it with my my own self worth too, and that's what made yeah. it even harder when that position didn't wasn't really aligned with me, right? So that makes sense in terms of time invested, right? Yeah, right. So from Katina, right, you shifted over to great, and that is currently your pursuit is great. So it sounds like you're spending time there, and your identity is shifting towards great. Share with us what do you do? What is, what is great? Because I, for, for most of my life, I was very identified with money one way or another. And that started probably when I was 13 or so. Mm-hmm. And I went to school where all the other kids had a lot more money than I did. I came from a very normal family and that was the rich kids school. And I identified a lot with money that if I only had money, that would kind of solve everything. And then I took Katina to the stock exchange with, t- together with amazing people and really smart people helped me to get there. And overnight, I made more money than I was going to need in my life. And that, I mean, I was completely euphoric when that happened. It was complete freedom. I could do anything. I'd reached this, amount, this amazing pride of something that I had accomplished but how long can a feeling last? How long does a feeling of anything last? It doesn't last very long. So like a week after this, maybe two, maybe three, I woke up feeling like, okay, now what? I'm still, still me. I got a cold. I still have problems with my girlfriend. I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm supposed to be happy for the rest of my life. And, and I wasn't. And then I started contemplating about this, like, okay, what's the next step? What can I do? What, what is this? And I started 
cutting myself out from the business, started exploring personal development, doing these kinds of different things. And I, I got involved with a, with a charity project in, uh, that a friend of mine introduced me to uh, in Ghana, Western Africa. And it's a school teaching kids how to use computers that have never seen computers before. And I went down there to visit there uh, to see what it was. And I remember coming into this uh, schoolyard and on the right side, there are these three gray worn out buildings with steel bars for the window. And it looked like prisons. And on the left side, there is this yellow, green, red splash of colors building, which is this new school that I'm a part of. And I feel very involved with that. And it just feels so right. And at the end of the school day, I'm talking to Toshton, who's the main guy behind this project. And he tells me that the other teachers from the other school buildings, they can borrow this new school building whenever they want during daytime because the school building was free at some times and and this building was much better but it wasn't on one condition Mm -hmm. and it was that in this school building you never beat the kids Mm. and when he said that he's like to me it's so obvious that you never beat the kids Mm. but in these prison-like school buildings kids got beaten up and just thinking about the feeling of going to school and knowing that you would get beaten up. And I just, and that's when I realized, okay, this is, this is the true power of money. It's that you can create opportunity that can create a safe space for children in a country far, far away. Then it's not about buying a Rolex watch or a Mercedes. It's about being able to create splashes of color safe spaces for people around the world Mm -hmm. and that moment that conversation shifted my perspective on life shifted my perspective from wanting to build a company take it to the stock exchange make maximum amount of money into wanting to turn the world into a splash of colors Mm -hmm. safe space where people can enjoy life and that later on led into to answer your question great.com, which is a company now, which is very similar to the businesses that have been running before, but it's not about getting VC funding or build a big company, taking to stock exchange and sell it as fast as possible. It's about building a company over the next 50 years with the purpose of making money, but donating all of that money into charitable causes. And we're mainly focusing right now on the environmental cause because i believe that climate change is the biggest challenge that humanity has faced so that's the story of how we got there <laughs> oh that's amazing that's wonderful and i very africa is very close to my heart as well because my adoptive parents are from uganda oh wow yes and i've been there and i so they run an orphanage in just outside of masaka And I also have kids, about 10 of them that I sponsor. And over the years, I've seen them grow up, you know, from three years old. And now they're going into high school, you know, my kids over there. (laughs) And it's just phenomenal what, um, how sponsorship could really help them to have this opportunity for a future. Yeah. And how cheap it is to make that difference. Exactly. It really is. 
to raise 10 kids in Canada, that's a lot of money. <laughs> to support 10 kids in Uganda is, I'm guessing, a lot less than just one in Canada. Yeah, it's a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so meaningful. I'm I'm involved with an orphanage in Uganda as well, actually, uh, called Malaika, which I think means star in their language, uh, and it's a similar setup where uh, where I'm involved with their. Yeah, I paid for their beds. Like I saw pictures of their beds. Like yeah, you can't have it, yeah. and getting mosquito nets for malaria and just school fees, which is very small compared to this, and it feels so meaningful especially there because you can really see what you're doing. You can have pictures on these children, see what you're involved with. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful feeling. It is. It is. And so they say that, you know, career fulfillment, fulfillment in your life's work and creating a fulfilling life is not about how much money you make or how significant your contributions are. It's about making a meaningful contribution and growing as becoming a better version of yourself. Right. So after you started this great.com and you started working in Ghana and, and, and making a difference to the children over there, how did your life change? So a lot of things have changed uh, with this. And also just the team in great are all people who really resonated with this cause and wanting to be involved because they want to make the world a better place. And just surrounding myself with those people compared to surrounding myself with people who are very money-oriented, yeah. it's just a much more loving environment, much more supporting, and it's a completely different thing. So I think my entire mentality about life has shifted. I mean, it's very easy for me to say that money doesn't matter because I have more than I can spend. But I can also see that there are definitely other things that matter so much that I didn't think about at all before, that I completely neglected. And I'm so much happier now i feel that everything i wouldn't say that everything feels easy that would be a strong exaggeration but it, it's just to say it feels more meaningful everything matters in, in a completely different way and it's just being able to see the shift and how things matter is is wonderful it's, it's a big difference between making decisions for myself as i used to to making my decisions that through me can benefit so many more. Um, so yeah, it, it shifted a lot. Amazing. What would I'm going to ask you a difficult question? <laughs> what would you say to someone who who says, "Well, Eric, that's easy for you to say. You've already made all the money. Money's not an object for you. But I'm living paycheck to paycheck here." I want to create a fulfilling life too. So obviously it's much easier for you to create a fulfilling life because you already have made the money. What do I got to do to create a fulfilling life when I'm living paycheck to paycheck? Yeah, and I would say you're completely right. It is easy for me to say. Uh, I am in a completely different situation. And at the same time, I believe that everyone can get there. And once again, I think the challenge is that that we identify me and pretty much everyone around me is impatient. We want to see results quickly. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you want to change that, it's really, really hard. If you want to change that in a week, it's extremely hard. If you want to change that in five years or in 10 years, it's completely doable. 
if you tell yourself that, okay, I'm going to come up with some kind of a side project and I'm going to spend five hours a week with it. If you do that for eight years, I mean, that's a long time, but if you do that for eight years, that's the equivalent of spending one year full time with it. And hopefully you'll get somewhere in one year full time that you've been able to do at the same time. And no one wants to wait eight years. Eight years is a ridiculously long time, but it's still completely doable. I believe that almost everyone has five hours per week that they could do something different with. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone spent five hours a week on Instagram or Netflix or anywhere else. If you are five mother of five alone, maybe not, maybe then I have nothing to say, but for pretty much everyone, I'd say that if you just agree with yourself that this is going to take time and mm-hmm. just start moving towards it, I believe that you will find meaning in just the progression. Just knowing that I'm actually, let's say six months from now, you're actually spent six months walking towards this dream and maybe you're going to get there a lot quicker than eight years, but at least you're making those progress. You're feeling that it's like, imagine that you're building a house. A house is completely useless until it's done. Pretty much. You can't have a house for anything before you have all the walls, all the windows. But the second that you have built the foundation, I'm sure that you will feel a certain meaning in what you're doing. You will already be able to see how this house is going to look. You will already start moving in to this house in your mental state. So you will, I'm feeling confident to say that you will feel meaning already a couple of months into this because you're suddenly following your dreams. You're not just letting someone else dictate what your life is look like. When your boss is telling you something demeaning or cruel or making you do this or that or whatever it is that's going on, you can still feel like, yeah, but I'm making the best of this situation right now. I'm already building my house. I'm already getting this foundation in place. And sure, it's going to take eight years or maybe less or maybe more, but at least I'm doing this. And I I believe that there is a lot of meaning in that alone. Mm-hmm. That's that is so true, and you know about eight years or five years. The impatience is one thing, but it doesn't have to take a long time, because when you start building, like you're spending five hours a week on it, at the beginning, it's slow because you're not good at it yet. But you know, Einstein talked about compound interest. Compound that the that concept of compound interest applies to your skills as well. You start yeah, getting good on it. Sure. You know, each new skill you learn compounds on the other one. So when you start building momentum, the growth is actually becoming exponential rather than linear. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I don't think so we've spent the first two years, we spent between five and 10 hours uh, a week with our project. Mm-hmm. And after two years, we made a thousand dollars a month. American dollars a month, give or take, and decided, okay, this is enough for us to focus on it. Mm-hmm. And it took one more year, and then we made maybe 3,000 euros a month. Uh, and after that, three years later, we made $100,000 per month. It's so it's definitely exponential growth there as well. So for us, it took three years, but we never, pretty everything that we did, we could have done with a job theoretically, five, 10 hours per week, we could have invested. I mean, we were 
in our 20s with no kids, no other obligations. And anyone can do that, or a lot of people can do that at least. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing and being so transparent and, and, and honest and vulnerable as well. Thank you for that. I want to acknowledge thank you. you. <laughs> so what, what, what's next for you, Eric? What are you working on? What's, what's next for you? <laughs> okay, so I have a couple of dreams. Um, one is to stop climate change. Uh, I figured I'll solve that little pickle. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of the overarching thing that I want to, I want to build great into a business that over time donates billions of dollars to the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Katina, my previous company is currently 400 uh, employees and has revenues of tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And that's a six-year-old company now, seven-year-old company. And now I've, Picture, picture, how can, what can I do in 50 years? And how can I do that in 50 years? So one part of what I want to do is to build this business and have that donate all of its profits to charitable causes. The other side of me wants to educate entrepreneurs and inspire entrepreneurs to follow their dreams and hopefully follow their dreams in a direction where they're also helping the climate. So I can build one company. I could possibly build two, three, maybe five but I cannot build 500,000 companies. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm spending the most of my time on right now is on Instagram, building a platform to inspire and educate entrepreneurs around the world. And I've really found an angle on it that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I want to build that audience. There are 46,000 followers now or so. And I'm hoping to grow that into millions of people over the next couple of years and be a part in their entrepreneurial journey, be a part of their starting companies, them believing in themselves, but also be a part in their uh, values. That if I'm sharing my values and I'm doing this to make the world a better place, I'm hoping that over the course of 10 years, 20 years, there will be hundreds of thousands of companies started by people who have one way or another been influenced by me and hopefully will be part of the same uh, value system. So my dream is to create a couple of companies of my own and be part of millions of companies happening over the next decades that all have one way or another the angle of making the world a better place. I love that dream. I love Thank that you. dream. That is incredible. And that is uh, a real, an example of meaningful contribution, right? Not business, building a business, not for the sake of making money, but also to make a meaningful contribution in the big picture of things. So it truly is aptly named great.com. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So one, one final question. What are you excited about in terms of the future for people who want to transition into entrepreneurship from the corporate world? What excites you about that for the future? So right now I'm excited about social media because I'm engaging a lot with social media myself and I'm seeing the, the opportunities in it. So right now I'm interacting a lot with people who are successful on Instagram mm-hmm. and most of them are between 18 and 23 years old with no previous experience of anything. 
and they're teaching business on Instagram, which they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. The only thing they're good at, well, the only thing, one thing they're good at is learning simple designs in free tools online, like canva.com. And just seeing what they are doing with no business experience, no other thing other than their time. So a friend of mine, his name is Isaac. He's working in the post office uh, on daytime. And his side hustle has been to build Instagram accounts over the last year. And he is now reaching a point when he's making $5,000 a month on Instagram. wanting to, And he's going to quit his job now after New Year's. He's working his last couple of weeks and transitioning into this. And he started because he just enjoyed Instagram. So I'm very passionate about seeing what can be done, seeing that the competition, if if you want to be a banker and you're going to start something within banking, it's hard to start a business within banking because people have been running banking businesses since the beginning of time almost. Mm -hmm. So you're competing with people who are very, very experienced in what they're doing and established companies have been doing it for a very long time. But if you're taking an approach to social media, even if you have no experience with social media, if you know nothing about social media, no one has more than 10 years of experience because social media barely was around for more than 10 years ago. So you're not, even if you're starting completely fresh, you're still competing with people who have a lot less experience than if you would compete with bankers, for example. And if you're starting a business trying to understand a very new platform like TikTok, which is this new booming Instagram kind of way with music videos that have hundreds of millions of users and only been around for two years. No one has been on this platform for more than two years because it didn't exist two years ago or three years, whatever it is. So there's a lot of opportunities here where you don't have to compete with people who have done things for decades because no one has. And it was the same thing when I started to play poker. No one had played online poker for a long time. So no one was very good. Today, they're super good. They've been playing poker online every day for 15 years. Now it's really hard. No one has done TikTok for 15 years. No one has even done Instagram for 15 years. So just looking at these places and looking to find something you enjoy with it. Once again, I think passion is so key. That If you're taking on, let's say, Instagram, the main thing I've focused on this year with Instagram is I wanted to find a way to how do I enjoy creating content? I didn't try to come up with a way what kind of content do people want to see? I wanted to come up with a way how do I enjoy this? That was step one. Mm -hmm. And then I tried Facebook groups. I didn't enjoy it. I tried LinkedIn stuff. I didn't enjoy it. I tried Twitter. I didn't enjoy it. So I gave up all of those things. Once again, I didn't identify with it. I just gave up and moved on. But I found a way to do Instagram that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. If I'm not making progress, if I'm not doing anything, as long as I enjoy it, then it's a hobby. It it doesn't have to have a second purpose. And then the second purpose for me in this anyway became, okay, I want to learn things doing this. So if I learn things doing this, I enjoy it and I learn things. Already here, there is meaning. I don't need anything else. So I'm not going to give up because as long as I learn things, as long as I enjoy it, it becomes meaningful to me. The third step anyway becomes, okay, now I want to find ways to add value. I want other people to learn things from what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And if they can add, if they can learn, I'm, I'm having fun, I'm learning and I'm teaching. Yeah. I mean, that's 
that's amazing. I'm guessing that's the way you feel about this podcast. It's easy to run a podcast if you enjoy it, you're learning things and you're teaching. And then the third, the fourth box here became, I want to find a way so this can scale. I want to be able to do a lot of these things. So then I started looking, how can I do more of this? And how can I get more people to see that? And it's easy to keep going with these. And once you can scale something, it's just a matter of time before you can make money from it because anything that scales can make money. And I think that this just mentality has been so important for me in where I'm heading, what I'm doing in, in social media or in, in anything, that this could be something that can be applied to whatever you want to do. If you just start to look for how can I enjoy this? How can I learn from this? How can I add value to others from this? And how can I scale this? Mm -hmm. That's the only four options you really need to answer. That's right. That's awesome. Thank you for unpacking all of that for us. It's, it's very clear and it's very inspiring. Thank you. So where can, where can people find you? you know, folks who are listening to this and they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? So great.com is our overarching site. I'm at the moment mainly active on Instagram, where my username is Eric with a K, like Swedish spelling, uh, dot Bergman. Uh, I'm sure there will be a link somewhere in the descriptions to find it. Um, I also run my own podcast together with Emil, who I'm running the project with, called Becoming Great, where we are doing different kinds of episodes where one category is about the project of great.com. Uh, one category episode is about entrepreneurship and how to build businesses. One category is about personal development and one category is, well, I'm a little bit narcissistic. So one category is about me, <laughs> my life, my journey, things I've been doing. So yeah, becoming great is where we do an, an episode a week about these kind of things. So that's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. So yes, indeed, I will put those links in the show notes below. And thank you, Eric, for joining me on Career.